Yeah, I want I want to take one verse and and um, I, I don't think I I don't think I said in my email to Sharon that um, I was going to take verse twenty three, but but Nathaniel's already read it, and that's the verse I, I'm going to take. Um, it's Romans eight verse twenty three. Romans eight is a great chapter in God's Word, as we know. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with many of the verses, if not all all of the chapter. But I, I'm just going to focus on on this twenty third verse, uh, which Nathaniel's already read for us and uh, and mentioned before prayer as well. Um, this Sunday, as we know, is is uh, Pentecost Sunday, when we remember the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost and 3,000 people converted under Peter's preaching, Apostle Peter. Uh, so I thought it might be good just to encourage ourselves in, uh, in something of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so I'll just read again verse 23, where the Apostle Paul says, to encourage Christians, uh, not only that, he says, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So that's the verse. And, and um, I mean, Romans 8 is such a great chapter. There's so many verses which can encourage us. I tend to think of Romans 8 as like a, a great box of jewels, you know, and you open the, the box and you wonder, well, which one can you take? Uh, so we're just taking one of these jewels or uh, like a string of pearls, I suppose, and focusing on this one verse. Um, it's, it's maybe it's a, bit, it's a bit dangerous to t- take one verse because, as we know, the Apostle Paul, he likes to use a reasoned argument and the verses are all connected together. Um, but I hope that as we think on verse 23, it'll be uh, an encouragement to us and uh, bring us some comfort and uh, some assurance as well, you know, of the great things we have to look forward to in, in the Lord Jesus. Um, the reason Paul wrote Romans, as we know, is to give Christians a, a great sense of the gospel, you know, that that they might realize how great the gospel is. You know, we think of how Romans begins with Paul. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Uh, and maybe there was a thinking, well, Paul had not visited the church in Rome. Uh, and uh, maybe some of the Christians were murmuring, well, Paul hasn't visited us. Is he, is he ashamed of his message? And so he begins like that, doesn't he, by, by saying that he's not ashamed of the gospel. And then he gives us this great uh, exposition, really, of, of what the gospel is, the good news of Christ. And, um, and and also, not just to, for sort of confidence in the gospel, but assurance. Romans 8 is written so that Christians might have uh, a real assurance, you know, that we are the Lord's people and, and that we are secure in Christ. Martin Luther, in, in the days of the Reformation in the 16th century, uh, he spoke, I think, about the misery of uncertainty. Um, and, and life is full of uncertainties, isn't it? You can see on the news today that people are... Uh, are a bit annoyed with Boris Johnson because he's telling people maybe not to travel and they've already booked their holidays and, and holidays are uncertain. Um, but of course, that's trivial compared to some of the things that are going on in the world. You think of um, uh, the Gaza Strip at the moment and Palestine. And, and so families there are wondering, will they survive another day? Will, will we be alive tomorrow? So, you know, the uncertainties of life and there can be uncertainties in our lives as well. Um, and the last year has brought a lot of uncertainty. But, but Romans 8 is great in that sense because it, it, it reminds us of the certainties of, of, of salvation. We have a lot to rejoice about and to be at peace about in the Lord Jesus. And um, so I just want to look at verse 23 for, for, for the short time we have. And um, I'll, I'm going to divide verse 23 into three parts. Um, and, and first of all, the gift of resurrection life the gift of resurrection life. So in in the first part of the verse, Paul says, uh, not only that, but we also 
we, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. And, uh, of course, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, and he's encouraging Christians with this thought, uh, this reminder, that, uh, that we, we have the Holy Spirit with us. He indwells us. Earlier on in the chapter, he says, if you, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Uh, and so if you be- believe in the Lord Jesus, then you, you, you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you. It's a great privilege to know that and to have that. And, um, and so that, that's the first thing we want to notice in verse 23. Um, Paul reminding Christians, encouraging them, encouraging us to remember that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And he uses the words first fruits. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Um, In another uh, verse, as you know, probably in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses that word about the Lord Jesus' resurrection. And he says that uh, Christ is the first fruits of them that have fallen asleep. Uh, And um, in, in that sense, Jesus is the first of many. Christ is risen from the dead. And he is the guarantee that others will follow. His people will follow him in resurrection, life and glory. Uh, but, but in this verse, he uses the word first fruits about, the, about the, uh, the, the, the Spirit's presence with us. We have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, and other words that Paul uses in Ephesians and Corinthians, uh, he says that the Spirit is a down payment or, or, or a, a pledge, a guarantee that there's more to come. Um, we, we sing about this, don't we, in, in one, one of our old hymns, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, or oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine. Um, we've already received a foretaste of glory, and it's a tremendous thing, you know, to be a Christian and to know the forgiveness of sins. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit uh, indwells you and seals you. You know, that, that verse, that word in Ephesians 1, verse 13, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's put his stamp upon every Christian, and uh, we belong to him. Uh, and uh, there's there's the guarantee of more. The, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, is a guarantee that there's more blessing to come. So it's, it's a tremendous thing, isn't it, that, that first sentence there in verse 23. Um, we, we have the first fruits uh, of the Spirit. And um, all the way through Romans chapter 8, as, as we know, we, we only read a part of the chapter, but the Apostle Paul emphasizes that to be a Christian means that, that we have life in the Holy Spirit. Um, our salvation is, is a work of the triune God. Uh, the Father sent the Son. The Son suffered and died and rose again for us. Uh, and then there's the work of the Spirit applying salvation. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a triune work, isn't it? We give the glory to God in three persons. Uh, and all the way through Romans, Paul speaks about the, the Spirit's work uh, in our lives. And, and this is a great blessing. We, we are already aware of it. And, um, you know, there are ups and downs in our Christian lives. Um, sometimes we lose our way, we backslide, we come back to the Lord, we, we can fail, we, we, we sin and grieve the Spirit. And, and yet the, the Holy Spirit is never completely withdrawn from us. That's a tremendous encouragement, I think. Uh, at least I, I take a great encouragement from that. Uh, if I think if I could have lost my salvation, I would have lost it years ago. But, you know, that, that encouragement that we have the Spirit, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, and, and Paul wants believers to get hold of that in Romans 8. You remember some of the things he says um, earlier on in the chapter, um, in verse 2, for example, just looking back and reading that verse, the second verse, 
uh, Paul says it's it's a spirit who's the spirit of life. So we we have the gift of resurrection life, um, and um, you know we were once dead in sin, but now the life of Christ is within us, uh, and so that that's true of us. In in verse four of the chapter, uh, he speaks about the spirit of holiness. So we we could never save ourselves, but Christ's righteousness covers us, and then the Spirit works holiness within us. Um, and he puts it in that, that way in verse 4. Uh, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, and the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us by the Holy Spirit. So there's a work of holiness being done within every believer. Uh, and then linked to that in verse 14, there's another wonderful verse where he says that we are led by the Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit, uh, these are the sons of God. And, and uh, led there is, is not talking about uh, guidance, like we, we need guidance at certain parts in our lives. You know, uh, should I go here or there? Or, um, you know, how should I use my money? You know, there's that sort of leading and guidance. But, but the leading in verse 14 is, is referring to holiness. Because the previous verse, Paul talks about um, putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the help of the Spirit. Uh, and then he says, you know, that as many as are led by the Spirit. So the, the, the Spirit is the Spirit of holiness. And uh, he leads us in that way. And one of the ways we know that we are the Lord is that we, we have a desire to become more like Christ. We want to become more holy and more godly. We are aware of our sins and we want to be more like, like Jesus as, as the days and years go by. Um, so, you know, we have the first fruits of the Spirit in verse 15 and 16. Uh, which we read just now, uh, the Spirit is the Spirit of assurance. And in, in this life, um, the Spirit himself, Paul says, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Um, much has been written in recent years uh, uh, about that verse, uh, but it is a wonderful verse. We haven't got the time to look at it really tonight, but it's, it's, it's something real in the Christian life, isn't it? That the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children and we can cry out, Abba, Father. And, and there's that note of assurance again that, um, that Paul speaks about. Um, in verse 26, just taking one other verse there, uh, Paul speaks about the help that the Spirit gives. The Spirit helps us in our infirmities and weaknesses. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so there, there's the help of the Spirit in, in, in the Christian life, in prayer uh, and in praise and in worship and so on. Um, the Spirit of God uh, helps us. And, um, and so that's a tremendous encouragement, isn't it, um, for each one of us in, in the Christian life. Uh, Paul says we, we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the word have there, we have. We're already in possession of the Spirit. Um, and you know, we should never underestimate what it means to be a Christian. It's, it's the most wonderful thing uh, that can ever happen to anybody. I think of the words of, um, was it an American preacher by the name of Edward Payson? And uh, he said, if only we knew as Christians, if only we realized what a great thing it is to be a Christian, you know, we, we would be shouting from the rooftops, I am a Christian, I am a Christian. You know, do we feel like that? There's a, there's a challenge for us this evening, perhaps. Uh, do we feel like that, uh, what Ed, Edward Payson said many years ago, the great blessing of, of knowing the first fruits of the Spirit, which is already ours in Christ. 
Um, uh, but let's, let's go to a second thing because um, we need to move on from there. Do we? Uh, something else Paul says in verse 23. Um, he says, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we, we, we ourselves groan within ourselves, uh, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. There's, so he's not just talking about the gift of the Spirit that we already have. We're in possession of these wonderful blessings in Christ. But, but then he talks about the groaning for resurrection life. We, we've already see, received the gift of the Spirit, uh, first fruits, but there's more to come. And in the Christian life, there, there's to be a groaning, a yearning, a longing uh, for what is ahead of us. And uh, Paul here obviously is referring to the coming glory. Um, he, he divides salvation up into various parts later on in the chapter. Um, you know, we've been predestined, we've been chosen in Christ before the world began, uh, and then we've been called and justified, and then he says we are going to be glorified. Uh, and you could say that verse 23, yeah, Paul is looking forward to that. He's touching on the theme of being glorified, uh, longing for the glory, and there's a yearning. So having just um, just briefly mentioned the gift of resurrection life, and the work of the Spirit with us. Um, we, we move on just for a few moments now to the second uh, part of verse 23. Uh, groaning for resurrection life. Um, Nathaniel gave the reading and he, he, he mentioned in the reading there that creation groans. Paul says that in the previous verse. The whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs together until now. Uh, and so this world is is under a curse ever since Adam's fall. And um, God has subjected it to futility, he says in verse 20. In verse 20. Uh, God has, 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 has put the world in this condition, as it were. It's longing for something. And uh, what is the world, what is the creation looking for? Uh, not the people of the world, but the creation. Um, it's longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. Uh, and so there's that theme in the earlier verses. And um, having said that, Paul then says that uh, not only is creation groaning, but but we ourselves are groaning as believers. Uh, so, again, there's another question we could put to ourselves this evening you know, as a kind of a challenge or a, uh, a, a question for us. Uh, are we uh, groaning? Is there a, a, a longing, you know, for the glory to come? Um, we are to enjoy this life, as we know. Um, verses in the Bible tell us that. We are to enjoy richly all the things that God has given to us. Um, we are not to be miseries. Um, in this world, we are to enjoy what God has given to us. But there is also to be a longing, isn't there, for the glory to come. And um, we have received the Holy Spirit as a down payment, the first fruits of the Spirit. But there is more to come. And now Paul is emphasizing that in the second part of verse 23. And um, let's, just, let's just look um, for a few moments at some of the words he uses. We, we ourselves, he's obviously referring to believers, Christians. Uh, we groan. And the word groan there means a, a sense of longing, uh, dissatisfaction. Um, not satisfied, really, with this life in that sense, although... It's a balancing act, isn't it, the Christian life? We are to enjoy, we are to be satisfied with, uh, with our lot and content with what the Lord has given us. 
And yet at the same time, we long for eternity. We long to be with the Lord. And, and that's uh, what Paul is referring to here. So he mentions it in terms of groaning. He compares it to a labor pains uh, before uh, the baby is born in a, in a, in a, in a, in a household. And, um, and so the creation is groaning and we ourselves are, are groaning. The, the, the other word he uses, interestingly, is um, eagerly waiting. And so groaning gives the impression of um, the sense of being dissatisfied. Eagerly waiting uh, has the meaning of, uh, of being in anticipation, a joyful hope. So it doesn't mean that we are cast down in sorrow, in the groaning, but we are longing in joyful anticipation. Paul uses a similar word in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, where he writes from his prison cell, and um, he says that uh, it is my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And um, so there's a longing with Paul, but it's a joyful longing, an anticipation. It's, it's that kind of sense that you have in verse 23. Uh, we, we are groaning, we are longing, dissatisfied, um, never at home here in the world because we are pilgrims and strangers. But uh, at the same time, it's a, it's a joyful hope, anticipation, uh, an anticipation uh, to be with Christ, which is far better. So what, what are we longing for? Well, then Paul tells us we are eagerly waiting for the adoption. Uh, the adoption. Um, this used to bother me some years ago because I used to think, well, I thought I was adopted into God's family. Um, I thought I was a child of God, and I, I thought it was already done. Um, but now Paul says we are waiting for the adoption. But there's no contradiction, is there? Paul does say in verse 15 uh, that we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So we are already God's children, and um, we have been adopted into his family. Great privilege again to know that. Uh, but in another sense, we are waiting for the full manifestation of it. Um, a, a helpful verse alongside Romans 8, verse 23, is 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, where, where the Apostle John says, um, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And um, he puts the two things side by side. We are the children of God now, already. But at the same time, it's not yet manifested completely who the children of God are. But one day it is going to be manifested. And, and Paul says in, in Romans 8, 23, that's what we are longing for, for the full manifestation of the children of God. Um, Stuart Olliot was... Um, I was reading Stuart Olley's little commentary on Romans, um, a paperback, and it was first published in 1979, Evangelical Press. And uh, this is the way Stuart Olliot puts it um, in a couple of sentences. He says, at the end of the world, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Uh, but how will you know who is who? And then he says, the bodies of believers will be changed into the likeness of Christ's glorious body as they meet him in the air. And so it will be quite clear who are the children of God. It will be manifestly obvious 
Until then, we cannot be infallibly certain who is a child of God and who is not, for there are many counterfeits and apostates in the world. But on that day, it will be plain to see. And uh, then he makes another statement where he says, uh, when the spirit, uh, when we are glorified on that day, when Jesus returns, our adoption will be openly declared. Uh, and uh, so that's helpful, isn't it? We, we are the children of God now, but on that day, the Lord is going to declare his people openly. And it's going to be manifested. And uh, our adoption will be made complete, if you like. So we are his children now, but then it'll be obvious. And you get other verses in the New Testament where Paul writes in Ephesians that the church is going to be put on display. Uh, there's going to be an unveiling. And, uh, you know, the church will be uh, the great focal point, you know, of, of Christ's work in the new heavens and the new earth. And, you know, what a, what a great privilege to be part of that. Um, you know, what a, what a wonderful day that will be. Um, so Paul speaks about that, the revealing of the sons of God. It's, it's there as well, isn't it, in verse 19. The creation eagerly waits for the revealing, the manifestation of the sons of God. The word there is the word apocalypse. There's going to be an unveiling of all of God's people down for the years, uh, you know, all the church of Christ. And um, so we'll be forever with the Lord. And so we have the first fruits of the spirit. Uh, but at the same time, we wait for more because there's more to come. And uh, we have great blessings to look forward to. So the gift of resurrection life, the, the groaning for resurrection life, and then the third thing, Paul, na na he nails it down even more specifically, doesn't he, at the end of verse 23. So that we'll just focus on this a little bit as well uh, uh, to finish. Uh, the redemption of our body. So he talks about the adoption um, in a kind of general way, I suppose, you know, that Christ will come. The church of Christ will be manifested. And then, and then he comes to a, sp a specific particular thing, the redemption of our body. Uh, and um, he, he nails it down there, you know, that our bodies are going to be redeemed. And we will receive a body like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so, well, today I, I was taking, um, not, not a funeral service, but I was committing some ashes up the valley there in the cemetery. And, and the family were not, um, not Christians. And so some secular music was played. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. Um, save your kisses for me if some of you remember that song from the Eurovision Song Contest years ago the family wanted those played and um, the, the ashes of this couple were committed into the ground and um, you know you, you try to point people to the Lord isn't it and um, point people to Christ and the hope of the gospel and their need for a saviour uh, but when you come to a Christian um, funeral or committal of the ashes whatever it is there's this great confidence, isn't there? You know, the redemption of the body, that it's not the end. Um, there is something more to look forward to. I, I was reading about the words of Martin Luther when he um, lost his daughter, Magdalena, in 1542. She was just 13 years of age. And Martin Luther said these words at the death of his daughter. He said, I love her very much. But Lord, if it is your will to take her, dear God, I shall be glad to know that she is with you. And then at the burial, Martin Luther said, there is a resurrection of the flesh. 
And that was his comfort, you know, uh, those two things. You know, she's with the Lord. I'm glad to know she's with you. And then as the burial was taking place, there is a resurrection of the flesh, the redemption of the body. And um, that's a tremendous comfort, isn't it? Paul um, mentions it here at the end of the verse, the redemption of our body. Um, and I'm sure you know the, um, the emphasis of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul speaks about this to comfort Christians. He says that, um, you know, when Christ uh, returns, we may be in our graves, but there will be Christians alive. Some Christians will not go through death. But it makes no difference, Paul says, because we shall all be changed. We shall all be changed, whether we're in our graves or not. We might be alive and have the privilege of being alive when the Lord returns, but it makes no difference because every believer will receive a resurrection body. And then in Philippians 3, remember, he talks about um, having a glorious body, like the body of Christ. Um, and in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses a number of words to describe that body. This corruptible, he says, will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. Uh, we are sown in weakness, but raised in power and, uh, and in glory. Remember those four words he uses about the resurrection body, like putting on a new suit of clothes, a powerful body, a glorious body, an incorruptible body. And, uh, you know, what a, what a great thing that is, uh, you know, to look forward to. Um, do, we, do we look forward to it as we should? Do we groan as God's people? Do we eagerly long? Uh, for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the unveiling that's going to take place, for the glory to come. Uh, I, I was reading some time ago about um, John Duncan. He was a preacher in the Free Church of Scotland. Uh, he was given the nickname Rabbi John Rabbi Duncan because he was a missionary to the Jews in Budapest. He had a great burden for the Jews, as you might already know. Um, but his wife died. I'm not sure if it was his second wife or his first wife. I can't remember the exact details. Uh, and um, he was standing with his friend, looking at the, the body of his wife who had passed away. And as they were standing there, they were reading. He was reading with his friend the words of the Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 37 and 38. And um, I'll just read these words. Uh, question 37. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And then the answer. The souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness. And they immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, rest in their graves until the resurrection. That's a lovely sentence, isn't it? John Rabbi was encouraging himself, comforting himself in those words. Um, bodies are still united to Christ until the resurrection. They rest in their graves. And, and then the other question he was comforting himself in, uh, in that catechism was question 38. Uh, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? And then the answer at the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment. That links in with that. This verse does in Romans, the manifestation of the sons of God, God openly acknowledging and acquitting them on the day of judgment. They are made perfectly blessed 
in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. And uh, John Robert Duncan, again, a man who encouraged himself in the face of death, you know, with a tremendous encouragement of, uh, of looking forward to the coming glory and being with Christ, which is far better. When our children were young, they're all grown up now, but when they were young and we were traveling in the car very often, you know, traveling to see my sister up in Durham or traveling to another part of the country, we'd be in the car for some hours and um, they'd be in the back of the car, obviously, and we'd only just got onto the M4, maybe we'd only reached Bridgend, (laughs) and and they'd be saying to one, uh, shouting to me at the front, uh, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, and then we get to Cardiff. Are we there yet? And we still have four or five hours to travel. But there was a keenness. They longed to be there. You know, there was a longing. And, um, well, it's to be like that in the Christian life, isn't it? Um, are we there yet? Well, we know we are not. But there's a yearning within our hearts. And um, as we go through difficulties and trials, temptations and uh, bereavements, all these things, the, the, the Spirit uses them to create a yearning within us. Lord, are we there yet? You know, the, it's still to come. Thank you for the blessings of now uh, and the things we enjoy now. But, Lord, we long for that day when you will come and uh, we will be with you uh, forever. So Paul writes these words to us. We do have the first fruits of the Spirit and uh, we are not on our own. The Spirit of Christ is with us. Whatever we have to do in life, in church, in ministry, you know, what, what a great blessing that is. You know, the, the, the Spirit's blessing available to us. The supply of the Spirit, as Paul says in Philippians 1. And, um, and then the, the yearning, the groaning, and the coming glory that we have, uh, all because of the work of Christ on our behalf. 